that was a warning shot for those still pouring coffee. Let's give them 30 more seconds. You're good. That wasn't directly at you, just the whole, you know. Yeah, you good, you good. Stop, stop it. No condemnation. Stop it. <laughs> oh, yes, Lord. Hmm. How you doing? I'm great. Blessed and highly favored. You realize I'm not the main attraction today, right? Just so we're clear. Who's the main attraction? Yeah, now y'all sound like the children's church. Jesus! I even, I even heard like a little, little, little lisp. Jesus! Yes, I am not the main attraction. Um, makes me pause and just get excited and goosey about the fact that I recognize who the main attraction is. And I'm just simply going to be here today to add to the discourse that's already been started this year. God wants us desperately to know his ways. And so he's made it something that's burned on the heart of our elders um, that we would take some time to learn, and maybe in some cases reflect or remind ourselves of his ways. Some of the stuff's going to be totally fresh. You're going to be like, whoa, that's in there? He's like that? And other stuff you may have, and, and this word came up often yesterday in my conversation with uh, Alan. We were talking yesterday. Some things we may find that we've been smug about or we have said, oh, I know that. And we have to approach those things that we know, even the things we know, with a different heart posture. Because if we are approaching it from a place of, oh, I know that about God, that's old. I learned that in third grade. Then you really don't have it. A posture of, I've gotten enough, unacceptable. We should always come to our times with the Lord. Notice I didn't say our times on Sunday. We should always approach our times with the Lord with an excitement, with a reverence, and with an understanding that I'm empty unless he fills me. Better yet, this wasn't intended, but it serves as a perfect example. I had a test on Friday. I had what was called a pulmonary function test. And it's a battery of things that they have a person do to test the person's ability to uh, remove as much air as possible from their lungs, to test their capacity as far as how much volume they can inhale. And one of the tests revealed that I have what's called a higher than normal residual volume. What that means is I cannot blow out as much air as the average person. I retain a lot of air that has not been exhaled. Now, God will deal with that. I don't bring that up because I'm worried in any way, but I find that to be a perfect picture of what it is like if we approach the Lord saying, I don't need to learn anything. We have a residual volume from our past conversation with them, and we think that we don't need as much. We have not ejected ourselves fully or emptied ourselves fully before we approach him saying, Lord, fill me. If you approach this meeting or any meeting, and I am guilty of such, 
We all must stop. But if we approach any time with the Lord, not being fully emptied of ourselves, or even the thing he said before so that we could receive fully what he has to say now, we've missed it. Do you have a higher than acceptable residual value? Are you holding on to things and as a result having a smug posture? Not the message, but something to bear in mind. If there's anything you've brought here where you say what Donovan has to say, or rather what Holy Spirit has to say through Donovan, I got that. That's old. If you approach it that way, if you leave the meeting saying, I had that already, that was old, then you've missed it. Because God wants to say something unique about the things that are being brought up today that you don't have. Otherwise, he would not give it. He is not giving us anything that we don't need. So if he's giving it, you need it. If he's giving it, I need it. Amen? Okay, good. All right. Random example. So, so far, we've been talking about this year, the ways of God. And because you all know I love audience participation, I want to hear some of the ways of God you've learned about this year. What are some of the things we've heard from our brother Judah and our brother Alan this year? Just shout them out. Don't raise your hand. Don't stand up. Don't ask for a mic. Just what are some of the ways... We've learned about God. Hey, thank you, sis. Yes. What else? I like that you all went like early January too. Like you didn't just go last <laughs> week. Because, you know, if, if you did, it wouldn't have been cheating. But mm, good job. What are some of his ways? What is he like? Faith. faith. The way of faith. It's been our series the past two weeks. The way of faith. To walk of faith is absolute confidence that God will come, come through and not maybe he will or I'll step out randomly. It's a banking on his promise that he'll come through. It's a lesson I learned last week. Semantic issue last week, but you may remember me saying that sometimes you have to sing the songs in faith even though you haven't got it. But Will, what did you say again? Say it one more time for me. The banking on it, 100% positive that his promise will come true. No shakiness, no wobble. So the way of faith is to have an assurance, a guarantee, a confidence. Not in us, but in him. He has given us something, and whatever he says about himself, about what he has done, about what he will do. And when I say will do, it's not that he hasn't already done it, it's just we haven't seen it. To be clear, he doesn't function in time like we do. So everything he's going to do for you, he's done. You haven't seen it. And so whatever he says is coming, whatever he says he has done, what he's accomplished, whatever he says about himself, faith is to say, I believe it wholeheartedly. I accept it without reservation. Otherwise, you don't quite have that thing yet. And what's cool is he has you, and this is what we learned the last two weeks, he has you getting pieces because if he gave you everything about what he is, and our brother said that last week, if he gives you everything about who he is in one setting, you'd explode. You didn't quite say that. I'll say it. We don't have the capacity to accept everything about God in one setting. And so he's giving us what we can handle every time. And we're expected to come back to him saying, Lord, this is the last place you taught me. Teach me more. 
I need more. I want more. That's the way of faith. What other ways have we learned about? There was a few others. Matthias is trying to answer. I love it. Anybody else? No one wants to talk about fear? We're a little uncomfortable with that one, huh? Still haven't quite accepted that one yet. I got to fear him? I like him when he's cuddly. We have to approach him with reverence. If we don't, it speaks to a residual value issue again. To approach him and say, "Ah, I could be casual with God. Remember, he called me his friend is to miss it because we don't think that he's sovereign over all things. Last week, we heard that he's the master of nature and of time and of supply. He's the master. So when we approach him, it's not a fear. It's a, I recognize exactly who I'm meeting with, fear. It is a reverence of the fact that he is the only one that that can meet our needs. He is the only one that should be respected, the only one that should be listened to. That is a fear. Not he's one of the pundits that I, I listen to. He's one of the voices I accept. A fear is to say he is the only one I accept. I'll even put down my own voice. If we have not learned to put down our own voice, we have not learned to fear the Lord. Amen? That's where you say you okay. All right, I'm going to do that again. Don't, don't. If you don't agree, don't agree. If you agree, agree. So some of the verses that we covered last week were in Hebrews chapter 11. We camped there for quite a while, so I want to go back there. So we're going to start off with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Because again, this is something that I picked up last week, and you may be seeing it and go, why why do they keep talking about this passage, and why are these words so significant? But they, they are. And it says, now faith is the assurance, the confidence, the guarantee, the non-wobbleness of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's the way of faith. To be absolutely sure about what God has said about himself and what he has accomplished most of all. Our brother went through it, and he dug, and I'm so glad he did because, again, we could approach things with just such a smugness. It's the word that's going to stay. I get faith. But then find ourselves saying, I have faith the Steelers are going to win. It's not the same. You hope. The point spread might align with that hope. The fact that there's an injury with the quarterback on the other side may align with that hope, but our faith must be in him and him alone. There's no other thing that we could say we have faith in because nothing else can give us an assurance. The Steelers, while they may have a favorable matchup in a lot of games, can't assure you they're going to win. Quite frankly, there's a couple times this season where you really thought they were. Okay. All right. 
We can talk about the Eagles too if you want to get after the Eagles, whatever. But God is the only one that can give us a surety that things will come to pass. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. I thought this was cool too. So we're actually going to isolate that. Good, thank you. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is who he says he is. Must believe that God is who he says he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, you won't seek him unless you first accept it who he says he is. Otherwise, you'll seek a form of him, an idea of him, a version of him that you're comfortable with. But he's pleased when you seek him, when he has revealed himself and you say, I want that. He'll reward that. And so all throughout Hebrews 11, and we're not going to cover the whole thing today, all throughout Hebrews 11, we get examples of what a proper response is. And if you're taking notes today, today's message could be titled, it's what I put in my notes, Love His Ways. So I'm not endeavoring to give you a new way today, but rather to say that the ways you've already been given, and if you can't remember them, YouTube has a bank of all of the messages that have ever been taught here. So if you can't remember them, go back. But all of his ways are ways we must love. We can't have a casual appreciation for them. We must love them. And to love them is to put down our way and take his way. Our sister said earlier at the beginning of the praise and worship set that to prefer our way over his is to build up a what? A wall. We build a wall that divides us from him because we say, I prefer, I'm not a lay brick, so I'm just going to, this is me scraping cement on it. If I'm doing this wrong, Jim, just forgive me. But I prefer my way. And that's a problem. Okay, so if we go back to Hebrews 11.4, we get some examples in this chapter, and it's all throughout Scripture. This chapter is just loaded with them, of people who have chosen his way or have chosen him. By faith, and whenever we see that, by 100% confidence, a knowing of him, able offered to God, a better sacrifice than Cain. Is the highlight that Abel's better than Cain? No. That's how I read it this whole time. But it's, the focus is on that by faith piece. See, Abel had an assurance of what God wanted because he has met with the Lord. This didn't, this didn't happen through happen chance that he just happened to get it right. He didn't just guess and figure out what God wanted. He spent time with the Lord. And if you want to provide a sacrifice, and we heard earlier, our lives, our marriage, our children, if we want to provide something to the Lord that he desires, which is our full attention, hey, I'm giving you all of this, everything I got. If you want to do that, you got to spend time with them to know that that's what he wants and not just what Judah said. Judah's right, by the way. But you need to spend time with the Lord so you know that for yourself, that God wants all of you and you to hold nothing back from him. 
Abel knew this because he spent time with the Lord. His faith was increased because he has a greater knowledge of who the Lord is. He has accepted what the Lord has said. And as a result, he offered a better sacrifice. That's the takeaway. You want to offer a sacrifice that the Lord wants? Ask him what he wants. Ask him what he wants of you every time you meet with him. God, what of me have I held back? What of me have I not given you that you want right now? Where am I spending my attention that you want me to divert it to you? Because only you are worthy, you alone. If we go on, verse 5 says, By faith, by a confidence, by a knowing of who he is, having an assurance and no doubt, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. What's the highlight there? He didn't have to pick out a tux to be buried in? That Matt didn't have to pick him up at the house and get his body prepared for burial? It's not it. But I've always read this passage thinking that the cool part was Enoch didn't have to die. That's dope. Raise your hand if you don't want to die. Okay, the deep ones are like, no, we must die daily. But everybody else gave the honest answer. I don't want to die. I like living. Living's cool. Listen, the seasoned saints were like, I know it's a trick question. But if we're just being honest for a moment, I don't want to die. I do want to be with him one day. Trust and believe, but I enjoy my family. Most of them. I want to live. I enjoy living. That's not the highlight, though. Enoch spent time with the Lord. So he knew what pleased him. And God then chose to take him up. That's it. He was pleasing because he met with the Lord. He said, Lord, what pleases you, that I'll give. So have you asked God, or do you just approach him and say, this is what you want, right? This is what you want. There is a posture that, again, goes back to that fear thing of if he is worthy of everything, if he's sovereign over everything, we should probably ask him before we just give him stuff all sloppy-like. What do you want? What would make you happy? Move on to verse 7. By faith, and we get the pattern here, right? By a knowing of him, By an accepting of what he has said, Noah being warned by God. So Noah's warned about things not yet seen. And I just read that this morning, and I think that's just so cool. He never saw rain before. Like, y'all don't get how crazy this is that he just took, not on blind faith, but on assurance, because he saw God clearly. He knew who God was. And he said, if God says it, it's going to happen. I've never seen it, but I don't need to. That's the highlight. He never saw rain. Like, we see rain in Indiana all the time. And as an admissions counselor, it stinks because we plan admissions events, and we're so excited, and it's sunny, and then all of a sudden the kids get here, or the young adults get here, and then it's like, gosh, you got to rain again? We see rain all the time. Noah never saw rain. He only knows that water bubbles up from the ground, that the vegetation gets what it needs because God provides it. He's never seen 
a saturating or oversaturating of the ground. He's never seen all humanity be destroyed. He doesn't know what that's like. No one does. But God said, I'm going to cleanse the world by water. I'm going to destroy it. And I'm only going to save your family and the people I instruct you to put, or rather the animals I instruct you to put in this ark. I want you to build it to my exact specifications. And Noah took that on faith. Because God said it, so I better be prepared. The response here is key. By faith, Noah being warned by God about the things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared. When we see God clearly, our response is to reverently prepare. God warns us all the time. God shares his expectations all the time. God tells us what he desires all the time. Our response will show if we really got it or if we just say we got it. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, which implies God speaks, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't need to know. He knew God called him. That's it. Now, we love his ways when God calls, we'll respond. If we don't love his ways when God calls, we'll say, this is inconvenient. I'm busy. Sorry, sorry God, currently occupied. Didn't you read my calendar? It, it had that, that busy thing on it. So I can't add any other engagements. Abraham responded appropriately. And we can, too, because he has set us free to be able to do so. When you were lost in sin, you were incapable of being able to respond and prepare and reverence and to obey and to go places you've never gone or to believe things you've never seen. You wouldn't have been able to do it. But he's unlocked access for you to be able to do those things. So I'm not asking you to do something out of your own strength. I'm asking you, I'm asking me, we're being asked to do things that he has equipped us to do. This is not a mean ask hey, Alan, I need you to go dunk on that basketball, knowing Alan can't dunk. Can you dunk, by the way? Okay. God's not asking Alan to dunk unless he's giving, God, uh, giving Alan bunnies to do so. Bunnies means, oh, sorry. You guys know I just throw in stuff. God's not asking us to do anything he's not equipped us to already do. So then to not do it is to prefer our own way. Understand that. That if you're capable of obeying God, if you're capable of preparing, if you're capable of doing what is pleasing, if you're capable of doing all of the things that are so celebrated in Hebrews 11 or in John 15 or in any of these places in Scripture, if you're capable of doing it and you're not, you don't love his ways. Now, while I'm going to continue preaching, just in case you've received condemnation from that statement, Please understand, I didn't say he doesn't love you. It's a difference. He loves you. That's not wavering. What I just said shouldn't make you feel cursed or broken. Don't leave out of here feeling sad. I'm just simply pointing out that if you say you love him, the things we're talking about today, the ways you've been taught, Judah said it earlier, Alan said, those ways that we'll hear the rest of this year, you will apply them because God is asking of them. And when you do, you'll show him you love him. His words. 
John 14, 15, which is where we'll end, but I'm going to say it now. If you love me, do what? Oh, gosh, okay. I heard, it, I heard it mutter. We're going to say it more enthusiastic later. But if you love me, do what I say. Obey my commands. Follow. So I'm simply saying we need to get back to a place where we love him and his ways only. That's it. Before we learn any more ways, let's get to a place where we love his ways. Because if we don't love his ways, I don't care what revolutionary teaching Bob gives or Alan gives or Judah gives or our guest next week gives. or I, It doesn't matter what is said by prophetic utterance after the music. It doesn't matter what's said on the podcast you listen to. Whatever you're taking in, all that good stuff, if you don't love his ways, it's irrelevant. You're just trying to feel good. And the goal is not for you to feel good. Sometimes in loving him, you're not going to feel so good. It's going to hurt. Which kind of brings me to this issue of correction. Why do you think you came here today? What do you think the point was? See your family? Some of you have family here. Was it to see your family? Was it to sing cool songs? You come here today, you didn't realize this, to be corrected, not by me. You meet with the most high God so he can show you the areas in which you have not loved his ways, where you have not responded accordingly. This is all throughout the week. Whenever we meet with the Lord, whenever we have an encounter, our vision of him, our understanding of him is set correctly. The example I'll present to you is that of an optometrist or an eye doctor. How many of you have gone to the eye doctor and told the eye doctor, I see fine? That'd be ridiculous. You pay for vision insurance. You get to go see him annually or her annually. There's lady eye doctors. You get to see them. And they tell you about how your vision can be improved. And if you thought your vision was perfect, you wouldn't go see them. You go there already with a posture of, I need correcting. How much more should we approach the Lord in that way? When we meet with him, do we see ourselves already perfect and blameless, needing no more correction, needing no more depositing from him? Or do we see ourselves saying, okay, yes, he has purchased my salvation. I am seen as him. I've been washed in his blood, but yet I still have things I must learn. If we approach him closed, we're going to an eye doctor saying, I see fine. Or, I'm really guilty of this. My wife's going to play this sermon back to me later. Or we get a prescription and we don't wear it. I have these really nice contacts at home. They're scleral lenses. You can Google it later. But when I wear them, I see 20-20. How often do you see me wearing my contacts? This isn't a comedy skit. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to blow myself. I'm just, I, this is not me even coming up here saying, hey, I'm condemned. No, it's just somebody gave me, like an expert gave me these revolutionary contacts, these scleral lenses that help to adjust my 
keratoconus. My cornea is conically shaped or cone shaped. I don't have a spear like you all do, or that some of you don't have. So because my cornea is not spherical in nature, it occludes my vision. All the SAT words are coming out. And so they put this dome over my eye. It sits on the white part of my eye, the sclera, and it's filled with fluid to the brim. And when I put it on, it creates a new cornea for me temporarily. The dome being filled up, I look through the fluid and I have perfect corneas while I'm wearing them. I see 2020 while I'm wearing them. So this optometrist gave me these scleral lenses and I am wearing glasses right now. Do you love his ways? When you approach him and he says, Will, I want you to see it this way. Do you tell him I see fine? Your fine ain't good enough. My fine isn't good enough. And we're wasting our time up here if we share his ways and you say, my ways are fine. They're not. He has so much more for us. God loves us. And he's saying, I have ways that will give you more peace, more joy. In this world that's shaking, I'm going to give you more ground to stand on that's safe. But you keep telling me what you got is fine. It's not. Let's head over to Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your what? And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Now, I didn't give the media team this passage, and you don't have to pull this up, but I was looking over at John 17 in preparation for today, and I noticed that at one point in Jesus' prayer, he says that, Father, they have given me glory. Now, what he's saying in that is that the disciples have taken what he's given them, and they've applied it, and as a result, they have glorified the Lord. And the Son, earlier, says that I have given you glory. I have glorified you, so return me to my glory. Meaning, as Jesus was walking about the earth, he was showing us an exact picture of what God is like. Our brother said last week, he was the perfect fulfillment of all things. Every name that God was given, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, Jesus is the perfect fulfillment. So he glorified the Father in that he was perfectly what the Father said he was. He was perfectly what he was supposed to be. And we glorify Jesus, we glorify the Christ when whatever he tells us about himself, whatever he says we should be like, we adjust accordingly. Our perfect surrender, our perfect response, our perfect emulation per his instructions, not our best effort, is the way in which we bring him glory. So when I say here, well, not when I say here, when Proverbs says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, can we pull it back, back up? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's how you bring him glory. If you love his ways, like the disciples loved his ways, like he loved the Father's ways, you'll do them. To trust in anything else is to not bring him glory. 
Cain learned that the hard way. It's not that what Cain brought him wasn't good. It's not what God wanted. Our good from a human perspective is not what God wants. That would make our walk with him a meritocratic way. He is not the way of merit. God doesn't give you rewards and brownie points and stickers. Shout out to all the teachers in the room. He doesn't want to give you stickers because you gave him a really good effort. Good job, buddy. He wants you to do exactly what he said. And in doing so, you bring him glory. Don't believe Proverbs? Okay. Let's go over Psalm 37, verses 3 and 4. Wait, it says it the same way? What? Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. We have so many things we want. I have so many things I want. And when I read that, I get a little uncomfortable because I say, wait, does the Lord actually know what I want? Because like, he can't give me everything I want. Because Some of the stuff I want, I shouldn't want. <laughs> but he says, delight yourself in the Lord first. Loving his ways allows us not to want anything that's incongruent with him. If you're uncomfortable with your current ways, it's revealing an area in which we have not fully loved him. And that's okay because we can fix it right now. We've been equipped to fix it. This is not a condemnation. This should give you excitement. You should have joy because he has given you the ability to love his ways. I'm not asking you to do, I'm not asking you to dunk. I can't dunk, but I can love his ways. We can do it. Mm. You guys excited? You sure? You're a little quiet. Mm. Let's go to Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not reject discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. Let's move on to 12. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. When God is correcting our vision, he's showing that he loves us. It hurts sometimes, but it's absolutely necessary. How many of you go to a chiropractor? I know several of you work for one, but how many of you go to a chiropractor? When you're going there, like the optometrist, you're acknowledging that your posture, your gait, your alignment is off. And when they pop you back into place, it hurts sometimes. But it's necessary. Your foot may not be pointing the right direction. Your hip may have a tilt and a rotation. It's painful to correct those things. But it is necessary. What's interesting is when the correction happens, you'll find that your muscles become sore because they have grown acquainted with the bad posture. You'll find that your nerves fire and they're super sensitive because your nerves have settled into the wrong places. Correction hurts. And so we don't want to be realigned, but we must. Holy Spirit was given to us so that we could be constantly realigned 
Not because God doesn't love us, but because God loves us a lot. He loves us without any hesitation. He loves us unconditionally, so he corrects us. And last week, when Alan had to give a correction, the old Donovan would not have responded well. The reason why I could smile sitting right here, and I watched it back, it was funny. Not what I said, that wasn't funny, that was wrong. But what I said from the stage about hope versus faith when I conflated those two things, I remember saying to you all, if you were here in person, you have two minutes and 45 seconds before we hear our brother Alan. And in less than two minutes and 45 seconds, he lovingly corrected me. So much so that I had no reservation. Instead, I had excitement. Can you attest? Excitement about the fact that we were going to get it right. Here's a couple reasons why. I understand Alan loves me. I know he loves me. I don't hope he loves me. I know he loves me. So when he corrects me, he's doing it for my good. He doesn't want me on wobbly ground. Here's the other thing that gave me confidence. I love you. And I don't want to give you anything that'll have you on shaky ground. So when he says, bro, what you said, ah, I get your intent. I get your effort. But here's what we actually need to know. I received it, one, because I needed it. But two, because you needed it. And if a whole series about faith is being preached and I could say something cool and catchy in 15 seconds that negates it, that's a problem. So I, I gladly will receive correction if it makes me more like him. I'll gladly receive correction if it means that you all know him better. Are you willing to be corrected so that you can bear much fruit? Are you willing to spend the time that might be painful so that you could be properly aligned? Are you willing to love his ways? This can't be lip service, family. This has to be something that we actually do, both in the meeting and when we leave. And sometimes it means we're going to have some conversations that we don't always enjoy. But we got to do it. I want to end here. Let's go to Hebrews 11. Let's make sure I'm getting it right. Sorry, Hebrews 4, 14 and 16. Hebrews 4, 14 and 16. Should have been one of the ones I gave, but if not, I'll give you a moment. Always have a backup. Oh, okay. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And before I read verse 16, that's what our sister Jen was talking about, by the way. We have somebody that we don't have to be ashamed to be near or in front of. He knows we're not correct. So when you approach him with what you have, 
even those broken places, those scared places, those anxious places, he wants that because he can't correct it unless you give it to him. He's not a bully. He is not going to take your hidden places. He's not going to snatch them from you while you clench on them as hard as you can. He wants you to give them to you, give, give them to him. So when we say that we need to approach this high priest who is empathize, can empathize with all of our issues, can be tempted in all ways but not sin, he is the perfect person to go to. He's not going to respond to your broken places and say, golly, geez, you're jacked up. Whoa, I've never seen nothing like this before. This is, this is terrible. That's not his response. That might be our response when we talk to our friends and family. We might practice in the pointing out of things being so broken. We might major in the teasing. And so sometimes we overlay that understanding on the Father. We overlay that on the Messiah and we say, you know what? I'm not going to bring you my broken places because I don't want you to rag on me like my friends do. I don't want you to talk about me like I talk about myself. So I'm going to build up these walls and hide those unpleasant things. But you can see the stuff over there. Divert your attention over there. That's the good stuff. I went to church on Sunday. Please look over there. And don't look at my, like, the, the saved videos that I found from my Explore page on Instagram. Just look over there. I went to church. Give them everything. Because verse 15 says, and you need to know this, you need to accept this without reservation, with faith, not hope. Accept it, be confident in this, that we have a high priest who is perfect, who was tempted in all ways, who can empathize, and yet did not sin. He did what we're trying to do. He did it. So if anyone can correct our vision of him, it's him. If anybody could set us into a proper alignment, it's him. If anyone could teach us how to love his ways, it's him. That's why you go. Verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with what? What could you sub that word out for? To the throne of grace, so that may we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We're lacking so much because we're not approaching him with faith. We're not able to please him because we're not approaching him with faith. What you got the past two weeks, don't lose that quickly. We could have went somewhere else today. The Lord saw fit that we stayed here, but that we correct our posture as we're hearing the things that he has for us. Because if we don't approach him as if he's an optometrist, if we don't approach him like he's a chiropractor, if we don't approach him from the position of, I don't have it, I need it. You have it. I want it. If we're not approaching from that, all of the teaching is wasted. You can cancel your Bible study time tomorrow. Stop listening to the podcast. It's not effective. We have to approach him and him alone and say, you are the high priest. You're the prophet that I need. Messiah, you know everything that the Father desires. You are a perfect representation of the Father. You fulfill all things, so you and you alone are the one who can teach me what you were like. And if I accept it fully, I'll find help in my time of need. I'll find grace in my time of need. I can add, we'll find peace in our time of need. We'll find joy in our time of need if we approach him as if he and he alone is the one we need. Amen? That's it.
Family, let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you allow us to meet with you. We thank you that you set us straight. Not just our paths, God. You're not just making those straight. You're making us straight. God, you're resetting those places where we have grown comfortable. Lord, it may be painful, but it is better to be in pain for a moment, but to be more like you, Lord, than to remain like ourselves. God, we don't want to have a lukewarm posture like the church of Laodicea. We want to have a burning desire to be more like you. We want to love your ways, God, for your ways are higher. You are altogether different. And you have given us your son as a blueprint. We have an example and we have Holy Spirit to help us follow it. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for not rebuking us or destroying us, more importantly, not destroying us for our current ways, but rather calling us gently and saying, let me set that correctly. Let me set that correctly, Lord. We thank you that you set us correctly. We thank you that you love us well, God. We thank you that you choose our holiness over our comfort, God. We thank you that you are making us what you desire us to be. We want to please you like Enoch. We want to give you a good sacrifice like Abel. Lord, we thank you that you are making us capable of doing those things. Thank you, Lord. We will choose to love your ways this day and forevermore. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening, family.